0: If you are a clinical lead or a practice manager and your primary care network to-do list is growing by the minute and you could do with an extra pair of hands to deliver some of your projects and network-based services, I would absolutely love to help you. So come and check us out at www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. Now let's jump into this week's episode. Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. So in this episode, I am speaking with Dr. Mohan Sakaram. Mohan is the Royal College of General Practitioners Regional Clinical Lead for Person-Centred Care. He's also a London Deanery GP Trainer. He is a Locality Lead for East Merton Clinical Commissioning Group, and he is a GP partner and a dad and a husband. Full package, and I really wanted to speak to Mohan because his work in Merton has really set the tone and the kind of gold standard for social prescribing and introducing link workers to primary care. In this episode, we touch a little bit on lifestyle medicine and what is social prescribing, and in describing social prescribing. Mohan uses the term, what matters to you. So rather than what's a matter with you, patient, it's what matters to you. And when you understand what matters to somebody and you can take some time to speak with them and you're not necessarily tunneled in on looking for a medical condition, that's where social prescribing comes in and it can help look at the kind of lifestyle determinants of health and how that can affect you and how that can bring on physical symptoms super, super, super interesting and really, really, really important. And Mohan shows there's actually lots of evidence around the effectiveness of social prescribing and utilizing the full skills of a link worker. But to get it right, it does take time. You do really need to understand the role. They they do need mentoring. They do need supervision and you need to be really clear on how you're going to utilize that role. And Mohan also shares that, you know, the voluntary sector have been really key in Merton and their approach to the successful implementation. And now it's just best practice. It's just what they do there. Mohan also shares that He is supporting, it's not just the well-being of his patients he is looking out for, but also incorporates that well-being into his practice team. And they have an initiative, or not really initiative, they have a thing on Friday called Fika Friday, where they all get together. And I think the rule is that they do not talk about work When he first implemented it, he mentioned that his team really struggled, but now again, it's just what they do. And I think getting to know your colleagues, really getting to understand what they like, what they don't like, what makes them laugh is obviously the keys to a successful and happy team. Mohan does, um, walks with his patients and his team and really making the time to engage with the community assets and understand all the wealth of knowledge and expertise and resources that are out there in his community to serve the needs of his patients. And towards the end of this interview, I asked him about time because I know lots of clinical needs or whether you're clinical or not, sometimes you feel like there isn't the time to do these initiatives, but It kind of goes back to what matters to you as a person when you find out what matters to you what's important to you then you can kind of start to shift your day you know what to say yes to you know what to say no to to allow you the time to really get to the heart of the matter and then that will free your time up because you'll be investing in link workers you'll be utilizing the skills of your wider practice um, workforce you'll be engaged with the community you'll we'll be saving time. But is that catch 22? There is an investment of time that is required to free you up to do the things you love and the things that you can do. So I absolutely love this. And as always, if you like what you hear, it would be great if you could leave us an iTunes rating and review, and I will see you in the next episode. Hi Mohan thank you so much for joining me again we are re recording this podcast um yeah on this re- it's a sweltering hot day isn't it
1: yeah thank you for having me again um and it's really really hot um but yeah you know we only get somewhere once once a year and let's enjoy it but yeah, yeah. they're really pleased to be here and really help, grateful to be speaking to you
0: my pleasure so the reason why I wanted you on is because you have done a tremendous amount of work around social prescribing in Merton and I think there's lots that um, other primary care networks and other networks in general that are looking to recruit um, to a similar role uh, could learn from so could you give us a little bit of background to who you are and what you do
1: of course cool. so I'm mohan Sicomb i 'm a GP in east of Merton Um, I'm also the clinical lead for social prescribing for Merton and Wandsworth boroughs as well as the Royal College GP clinical lead for person-centered care. So now social prescribing sits underneath person-centered care um, which has five enablers. So the five enablers are shared decision making, uh, self-supported management, social prescribing, personal health budgets Um, and so all those enablers together can help support a person get choice for what matters to them. So I'm, I'm, I'm the, that lead for, for the Royal College uh, in London.
0: Why does there need to be a dedicated lead for person-centred care?
1: Yeah good question. So I think it's um, around educating or reminding clinicians about what really matters to patients and individuals. We often talk about we often talk to patients and we go, what's the matter with you? Uh, and we should really be talking about what matters to you. And, and I think if we can start our conversation there, then I think we can then identify where we're going to get the best result for our patient, for which will then inevitably be the best result for clinician and then healthcare and, and, the, and the wider system as well. And we often forget about those really important decisions which only a, a patient can make, and they get guided by the clinicians in front of them. So, so I think that the lead is to try and r- remind people um, and to, to talk about actually these are these other offers which help support an individual's journey. We know that 90% of health is actually affected by socioeconomic factors and so why medicalize all these problems when in fact actually you need a non-medical solution um, and therefore getting to the root cause of the issue by being person-centred Will help us get the right outcome.
0: Does the, would you say that that approach is similar to lifestyle medicine?
1: I think it w- I think it certainly aligns with lifestyle medicine. So lifestyle is looking at you know how you choose to to, to live your life, um, and, and again, your body is a temple, as it? Well, your body is yourself, and actually, if you look after yourself, then it will look after you. And, and I think if you follow some simple um, strategy. So, making sure you sleep well, um, you eat well, uh, you exercise well, you connect, um, and all these basic features, which actually we take for granted, and we're social animals, and we're like all the other animals on this planet. Uh, and if we don't have enough of these individual elements, then we will start. It will start impacting our health and well-being. So, it's really, really important that we look after our lifestyle. Um, and if we don't get enough of connecting, or we don't sleep well, or, or we don't eat well, then actually those. Result, what results is, is a physical symptom and that physical symptom is not a medical symptom but actually a, a product of not looking after our body. So it's really important that we don't medicalize these problems and actually look after our lifestyle um, and, and actually support individuals who may not be aware of that being the, the underlying cause. So I, there's certainly similarities of the two. Um, I think patients who have long-term conditions as well also need to have choice about what matters to them I think even though they have a long term condition, we don't necessarily need to medicalize it with, with all these medications and investigations. They can still live their life how they choose to do it and, and live their life with their condition and not have their condition living their life, if, if you see what I mean. So, so I think it, there are certainly some big similarities between lifestyle medicine and person centred care.
0: Do you ever get the sense that when patients come to you, are they looking to, are they looking for medicine? Because when you talk about like, and when you're saying it, I'm like, Tari, you know better, you know, this stuff, like my sleep is terrible. It's absolutely terrible. I know that I would be a better person if I slept better, if I ate better. It's like, and I go to the doctor when I'm not very well and I'm thinking, just give me the tablet so I feel better um and if my doctor said to me Tara, are you sleeping you know how are you sleeping I think oh I think I'd just think oh and walk out like I know <laughs> I know that I'm not like I think we go to or some people go to the doctor because maybe we, we think that you're going to fix us
1: yeah and I think that's absolutely correct and that's unfortunately the medical model isn't it and and I think patients will often have something wrong with them or they'll feel unwell and they'll go, oh, I need to go and see the GP or I need to go and see a a doctor. They'll fix me. And so that expectation before they've entered the room is I'm going to walk away with a pill or an investigation or a test. And if I don't, I'm angry. The GP is not very good or um, that was a waste of my time. And and the same expectation may also fall on the GP as well. So they've got 10 minutes. They're with patient X or patient Tara. um, and, And they're trying to sort of decide, you know, how should we navigate the best course of action for you and and you can tell in that consultation it's like when you go to shop you can kind of tell that there's a transaction happening and actually um you you can tell by the body language that the patient's expecting something and if you don't you feel like you're you collude with the patient in in giving them what you what the perceived need is Um, and it takes time takes relations takes you know over time you, you build those relationships and then you really identify what really matters to an individual and actually it's some of those social issues which really are the root cause issue. Um, and that's why general practice is, is great. You you have time, you have years. I've been a GP for 12 years in East of Merton. And so I've, I've built some really big relationships and I, I know what connects families and their partners and their jobs. And so I can really know what the underlying problem is. Um, being a GP, you can endorse other types of investigations or you know, social prescribing or exercise and sleep. Uh, And you can really listen to what matters to an individual. So I think you're right. I think it's what I'd like, the message I'd like to get across is that can we think of other alternative solutions to a patient and not necessarily just the medicines? Medicine is a tool, one tool. It's not the only tool. Um, And and so, as I said previously, 90% of health is affected by socioeconomic factors. And therefore, we need to really tackle those issues.
0: So when you say alternatives, so I suppose that's where we come to social prescribing. What is social prescribing?
1: Yeah, good. So lots of factors affect health and well-being. So some of those factors are social factors. So things like uh, exercise, employment, education, isolation, loneliness. And, and if we don't sort those social issues, then people start getting physical symptoms. And that's when they may start entering general practice or starting to see a, a doctor. Now if we medicalize those physical symptoms then we've off, we've given them the wrong treatment um, and then we've not addressed the root-lying cause issue which is the loneliness or the social isolation. So what a social prescriber does, uh, they work at the practice and they're embedded into primary care. Um, as a GP I can say look your problems aren't related to medicine, um, I don't want to give you a pill, I think you should spend time, more than 10 minutes, with this link worker or social prescriber who can spend an hour with you. And they'll sit down with you for up to an hour talking about what some of these non-medical problems are. And often that non-medical solution is a non-medical option which lies in the community. So you can kind of then suddenly see that you're, you're moving away from that medical model and you're sitting down addressing these social issues, you know, the wider terms of health. And actually, if, if you can start tackling those in the right place, then you can start having a, a nice knock-on effect to all the health and well-being of these individuals. Uh, and you'll find with time, as we found in Merton, that if you start getting these people social prescribed, that actually they then start realising they don't have these medical, physical symptoms, and they stop reattending back in a GP practice. Um, and we found a reduction uh, in 33% uh, of, of patients coming back to see their GP after a social prescribing intervention. Uh, we also saw a reduction of 50% of patients attending A&E and we also saw an improvement of well-being scores by 80% so these are massive these 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 figures really do showcase the benefits of social prescribing and as a clinician um, it's great for my health and well-being as well before I've not been able to support these individuals I've been banging my head against some people really trying to medicalise it or try and find an option for them but now with these link workers there's a person who can really help support them through that journey so Lots and lots and lots of benefits, um, and social prescribing um, can help facilitate that integrated care with our community, which is what primary care networks are all about. So I think it's a really key role uh, to ensure the long term plan and make sure that we really do embed it in our primary care networks.
0: So you mentioned the te- so you mentioned social prescribing and link worker are they the same?
1: Yes, yes. So social prescribing. Not lot, many people haven't like don't like the term social prescribing because. Um, or social prescribe because it, it feels like you're prescribing or you're giving something to, a, to an individual. So, so some people will refer to them as link workers. I, I don't have a preference either way. I think it's more about the, what they represent rather than the name. But, but, but nonetheless, they're, they're one and the same.
0: Are they clinicians?
1: They're, they're, they're not clinicians largely. Um, normally they're, they're employees of the voluntary sector and so they'll have a whole heap of knowledge of the laundry sector and what's available in their local community and so uh, ideally that's where they should be coming from so that they can then be able to support these individuals with non-medical issues.
0: When you reflect back so you've said you've been doing it for four years why do you what did you do at the beginning and what do you continue to do to make to embed those roles and embed that function?
1: So I, I think we we were, we were quite fortunate in Merton so we started off with two practices um with a small pilot we had one link worker and then we moved on to four practices then nine and 13 then 22 and and it and the the network des came at a quite a good time in our journey actually that we were ready for that next stage from pan bower coverage and so we took our time to to embed it we got it right we listened to what was needed um, and, and and that engagement is is really really key So not racing on the head and going, all right, I'm going to stick a link worker here and then we'll see what happens afterwards, which unfortunately happens with a lot of techniques or schemes. I think it's about working together um, and finding out what what works as the group um, and and fixing it as you go along. And that's what we found. And we've got some great videos, some great research, uh, which shows just how it works. So I think that would be my tip. Unfortunately, the networks don't have that luxury of four years they've kind of got to do it now haven't they um but there is certainly some evidence there which can show you how to support it um, and how you can develop link workers in your network um, as one of the role reimbursement roles as well so you should use them certainly with 100% funding
0: did you do you employ do you employ your link workers
1: so i so i I, my role is via the the old ccg so the, the borough so i still work for my local borough Um, and so we started four years ago and we offered the contracting through our voluntary sector on behalf of the practices and so we've continued to do that arrangement, however there's lots of other ways of doing it um, through federations through networks themselves, I think now that networks are kind of off ground zero and they're they're kind of sort of flying or they're they're into year two, I think they've started to you know, understand how, how, how it can work and some of the other things that they're trying to get aligned in their, their, their work stream. So I think now networks can embrace it themselves uh, and they can have those relationships with their uh, voluntary sector, either with the help of the federation or, or other agencies. It, it really works for your area.
0: So talk me through a consultation. So if I'm your patient and I say... I am. My wrist really hurts. Feeling a bit sad. Feeling a bit low. And I'm having problems sleeping. And it's it's been going on for months. Talk me through. Who do I? I call up the receptionist. Then what happens?
1: So so you, so, Tara, you would book an appointment to see a GP or a telephone consultation. Of what's happening at the moment? And I'll speak to you. And I'll say, look, tell me about what's you know how I can help you. And you'd, you'd say, I'm feeling tired, not sleeping well. And then I'd I'd explore that a bit more. And I'd say, look, what do you think's happening here? you to give me an answer um and if if we we then decide that actually there's a a few non-medical issues here so i have identified that you you know just lost your partner we just lost your job or you're feeling quite stressed or there's things which i can't deal with because i'm a gp then i might say look i've listened to what you have to say we can i can offer you some blood tests for investigations but i'm not sure that's going to satisfy your needs i think you need someone to really rummage around your Pandora's box and rummage around all your, your issues and really identify what, 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 what works for you. So we've got a link worker here who works at a practice um, and I'd like you to spend maybe a, about an hour with him talking to him about some of the concerns you may have um, and then let, let's see whether that gets you a solution which works for you. How, how does that sound?
0: Great. <laughs> how long is that appointment?
1: So it can be up to an hour i keep saying an hour but it can be up to an hour so it depends you know you, you may uh, the model's changing a lot so pre-covid the first appointment would be up to an hour where they'd sit down they'd do the well-being score they'd do an assessment and then they would say look you've, you've identified that you have social issues let's talk about that or you've identified you have housing issues let's talk about that whereas now a lot of this is being done over the phone so um uh, there's sometimes quick triages there's sometimes follow-up calls so it all depends on on what the need is of of, of the client so anything from you know half an hour to an hour for your first appointment and then follow-ups can be anything from you know 15 minutes to to one hour and follow-up appointments you can have maybe between two and and, and six follow-ups again depending on you know how much uh, intensity or requirements needed for the for the patient
0: one thing um, that I just wanted to pick up from what you said was, you said, "Well, I can't help you because I'm a GP," and I think that well, we're all patients that people listen to this. Will th- some people may be surprised because they will think you can help me because you're a GP, and I know that I have seen firsthand networks that have kind of rejected their link worker because. They don't think that they can help their patients, and that the patient should go to them as the GP. What would you What would you say to those people?
1: Yeah, no. That, that, what would I say to them? So, I, I, I think there's a, a few patients which you know need to see their GP, and that's part of their therapy. I think what we're facing at the moment is you know general practice is struggling, healthcare is struggling. There's lots of patients. We're seeing too many patients, where admin work is are getting overloaded. A lot of GPs are being burnt out. We haven't got enough GPs. And so is the GP the, the, the person who needs to be seen for every consultation? And I think it's being able to utilise your assets and utilise what you, your, your wider team to try and offload some of that work, not because to make it easy for the GP, but actually they're better suited to be able to solve uh, these problems. I mean, I, going back to that point, you know, if you came to me to talk to me about, you know, you have some problems about your housing benefits – um, and that you need some forms filled in I, I, i'm not best place for that and i could sit there and go through your form to you and you know spend 10 minutes trying to answer it but actually the best person to sort that out would be your link worker so so i think that that would be where i'd utilize them and say look that's what the real need is it's actually some of that work which you get stuck trying to sort out and actually that's not your best place to do that so i think those areas which have struggled with link works they may not have understood what they're meant to do with them that may be because of education or maybe they're not understood what's meant to happen or maybe that the link worker they've had has not been able to support that or the the engagement's been poor so i I would urge us networks who i suppose haven't tried to certainly try it and those which have tried and it hasn't quite worked is maybe try and give it another go and maybe try and get some support in how to make it work and more than happy to to help with that there are local regional facilitators who are able to make that happen as well depending on where you are um, across the uk um so i mentioned that i'm one of the um nine i'm, I'm one of the i'm person centered care leads for royal college of gp's for london and there's seven regions across the uk and they all have a lead as well so I'm, they'd be more than happy to to pick up the phone or speak to you and um, about social prescribing
0: so off air we were talking that you have got a thriving and growing social media channel on instagram you I've seen you out in the park I just are you running with your are they your patients
1: um oh the one where we're going for a walk yes yeah, so we yeah. yeah we've got a bit of a walking club um and we've also got a track built in our local recreation center just down the road from our practice they're, they're patient they're they're clinical staff actually um so the one yeah so so we have a mixture of patients and some staff activities to um try and get some of the staff members together uh, we have a FIKA Friday, which is on a Friday lunchtime where we get all our staff coming together and we to sit down and talk about you're not allowed to talk about anything medical. It's all about sort of health and wellbeing, outside work things as well. So so we have a mixture of uh, of, of of arrangements.
0: So I know there'll be some people listening to this thinking, A, you either don't have any work to do that <laughs> you can do this every Friday, or that why would you Dedicate some time when general practice is so busy. What what do you say to them? Because it's absolutely fun. It's fantastic, and but it's sometimes hard to get a meeting. You know that you actually need that meeting in your practice. But people just so you know, like back to back Microsoft Teams meetings at the moment. Why are you making time for the well being aspect in your practice?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think if you asked me, you know, a few years ago, I would have said the same thing. And a few years ago, I was almost burnt out and sitting there with my long list trying to medicalize things and you know getting a headache as a result of it and actually you need to take a step back and actually who's best place to sort these issues out and these are some of these allied health professionals the link workers physiotherapists amps paramedics the whole lot and actually they're there to support a gp and that's allowed me to free up time to then spend more time with some of the complex patients as well i think we need to connect as well with some of our staff and actually you'll find some real common ground about patients if you don't speak to the nurse about patient doris or you speak to receptionists about uh, a patient then you, you you miss out on some of those really subtle signs or some of those really vital clues which actually really help make your decision better some of the receptions tell me oh did you realize doris is, the dog's just died or you know doris has just lost their son or and, and actually i wouldn't that wouldn't be something i would automatically ask but they forge relationships which gets passed on and that informal feedback and that informal information doesn't get passed over um willy-nilly it gets passed on by having these connecting events going for um health and wellbeing events with your staff having a coffee catch up um, and, and being able to make that happen um, and that's made our consultations much smoother uh, and much more effective i think if you um continuing to do long hours and try and take it all on yourself it, it, it's too much and so I, I would, uh, and again talking about with patients as well. So I go for wellbeing walks with, with the patients. We call it wide walkers. It was a spin off from uh, Game of Thrones, uh, the Night Walkers. We we had the wide walkers. We had the symbol, yeah. uh, and we used to walk around the block, and um, and we used to do different routes. And we had a the local councillor Joan Henry, who used to join us, and she used to take us to all different places, places I didn't even know existed. And so for me, I, I found all the nooks and cranny, crannies in Pollard Hill in, in Mitchum. Um and it was fantastic, really great way of connecting with the community. Members of just the, the, the people living around would see us walking around and say, Oh that's my GP. It, it was it was it has got lots of health and being effects. I didn't spend all my time walking around. It was, <laughs> it was probably for about, you know, once once every two weeks for about half an hour. Um <laughs> so, so yeah, but it helps. Um, add, add to um some of our help
0: it's yeah it's it's really it's really really good and i hope there are lots of practices listening did you do did you start that before covid
1: the walking club uh yes was at basically when end of game of thrones finished so i think it was last march time wasn't it um and then the fika friday was last october I, I went to a trip to sweden um, and which is where Fika Friday came in and I thought this is a, a fabulous concept you know we just need to spend some time not talking about patients just talking about connecting with your staff and we actually really struggled for the first time we did it we all sat around the table and we couldn't help try you know we always wanted to talk about something around the work around our work relationship but we picked up some real good stories about what people are doing in our own practice and it made it a, a more enjoyable sort of uh, place to work in.
0: So how do you spell that?
1: Fika,
0: speaker Friday. Okay. I've got my marketing manager coming around tomorrow and I'm going to try. It's really, really good. So what services do your social prescribing team, your link workers, where are they signposting patients to or what what is the main advice they're giving uh, to their patients? What trends are you seeing?
1: Yeah. So that will depend on what their need is. So that could be things like housing um, benefits. So an example of a patient who was referred because he was feeling he had low mood um, and the link worker identified that he was, in a, he was he was entitled to getting an attendance allowance, um, which was an extra twenty five pound a week so that with that twenty five pounds he got himself a cleaner he cleaned his house, found his dentures which had dropped behind his sofa four months earlier so it then helped him eat and you know he was able to get a healthier uh, diet. They also cleaned his garden, um, and so he was able to potter around the garden. He's, he's partially blind as well, and managed to get him a job at the local vision centre as well. So these are sort of an example of that. Um, another example is someone who was depressed. Um, we used to give him antidepressants, um, so uh, a medical certificates every time we saw him. The link worker identified, dug deep and identified he used to work as a chef and managed to get him a job at the local um, youth centre or the local community centre. Uh, he's now off his medication, off his antidepressants um, and is working in a cafe somewhere. I don't see him in the practice at all. It's brilliant. Um, so these are some of the examples where they, they just have those conversations where they find, look, what, what is it we need? And having a non-medical background, they don't then veer into that medical model of, oh, let's do a blood test or take the paracetamol or, or whatever. They, they, they then stay away from that. They actually then really listen to what, is needed for this person. Before, when when we've had link workers, before well, before we had link workers, um, we'd identify these patients and we'd say, "Look, go to Age UK or go go to Citizens Advice Bureau." But as soon as the patient leaves the practice, you, you've lost them. They then start thinking of other things they need to do, like pick up their kids or go shopping or whatever. Having them in the practice means that they they literally have to stumble past the link worker. You can say, "Look, I've got Ray who's next door. Why don't you spend you know some time with him?" And, and once it's been endorsed by the GPs, GPs have a very trusted profession, as you know, 95% of patients, you know, trust their um, GPs. And so if if we say that actually that like, this is not a medical issue, they're more likely to engage with that and having them under the same roof, that activation is more likely to happen. So it kind of then starts them on that, on that right journey. So um, I don't know if I answered your question there, but, I, <laughs> but it certainly felt like,
0: yeah. 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 I think that, you it's based on the need, so you don't have hundreds of patients coming to you that are all sleep deprived. Everybody's different, and what matters to everybody is different, so that's fine. Um, when thinking about all the work that you've done in, well, I suppose in your career, what are you most proud of?
1: I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm proud of a lot of things. I suppose I'm, or pleased, I should say. I mean, I'm really pleased about the way that we've connected with our community, and it's it's a it's a massive massive asset. And and for me. I, I see magic happen and it, it does sound like a cliche, but it is. you know you see some of these patients doing stuff you've never seen before, you never think it could be possible. And actually we're looking for answers which are outside our remit, and actually the, the real answer is right in front of us, and actually you just need to go and search for it. So you know an example would be the track um, which we've managed to get uh, drawn on the local community centre d- down the road. Um, you know I've had connections and conversations with my local council at the local housing department and we've talked about how can we help health and well-being can you just, just draw a track on the ground and so they've drawn a track on the ground 300 meters and so people are now walking around it as a gp i can say look don't well try and join a gym if you can but patients who've never been to a gym are not going to suddenly start going to a gym so i say to them look go to the track do four laps three laps two laps and and you can suddenly start seeing that the little little engagement piece like this can really make a difference in terms of health and wellbeing of patients. Um, in a specific area. So I work in a deprived part of Merton. And so you need to make sure that the solutions actually fit the the person in in front of you. So I mean that's one example. Um I'm pleased with some of the results in the social prescribing um work um, and some of the collaborative working as well. I mean I I would say they're there are kind of things I'm really pleased about.
0: Why won't you use the term proud?
1: Just (laughs) not sure you yeah, proud I mean you know you're happy about them happening proud sort of makes me think that you know the job's finished isn't it okay. I, I, I don't think the job's finished I think it's it's just an enabler to make things you know spin off or kick off from that so and I'll be proud when i'm you know maybe 40 or 50 years down the line or whatever but but i I'm, I'm pleased that we we're, we're in the right journey and it's not the ending and I think that's the beauty of it you you're just finding there's so many new assets I'm finding every day new conversations new groups who are actually doing similar things but they're not joined up you join them up and you've got yourself a very strong and resilient community which will then impact the health of our community then you'll start reducing that health inequalities you'll start reducing that that gap which we talk about so yeah a lot of work ahead of us but i think you know tackling it from where it matters for me is in the community and and we often try and medicalize it by right we need to get all the diabetics make sure they do a diabetic check every year and we must you know give them funding for that and, and that will sort everything out no no, no that, that will sort one aspect of it we need to look at what really matters to communities population health will really help support that primary care networks addressing the need of their local population will help address that uh, and so i'm excited so yeah hopefully we'll all be proud in a few years time
0: and to other i suppose my last question would be to other gps listening to you thinking this sounds amazing how do i free up some time to be able to do some of this
1: stuff yeah good question I think it's identifying what matters to you um, and and actually what's your interest and what do you find passion in I think if you find yourself um, in a role where you're really struggling or hating it or, or you're not making head or tail of it then you know you're in the wrong playground um, and actually you need to go somewhere where you're able to benefit you're able to add value and you find it exciting don't burn out um, um, otherwise, it, you know, your career will be shortened. So I think finding that time is, is, is the tricky bit, isn't it? Right at the beginning, you, you, making that change, making yourself feel uncomfortable in the short term will make you feel comfortable later on down the line. Um, but one tip would be, if, if, you have a, if you're curious about something which you enjoy, um, make sure you grab it, find some mentors um, and, and, and speak to them. Um, uh, and, and that's how you, how you can find what really is your passion.
0: Thank you so much. If people want to find out more about you, where can they go?
1: Yep. So I'm on Twitter at Mohan Seagram, and I'm on Instagram at Doc Merton. I've just changed my name. So it's at Doc Merton. And yeah, they're they're my two ways of finding me. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you so much for joining us and if you like what you hear it would be great if you could give us a shout out on social media. You can find me on Twitter at THC Primary Care, on Instagram again at THC Primary Care or on LinkedIn just look for Tara Humphrey and if you really like it it would be great if you left us an iTunes five-star rating and review and I will see you in the next episode.